Hello, salutations. Are we recording? Yeah, we are. That's the, probably the worst thing I've ever <laughs> said. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Anyway, today's topic will be presented to you by Ben Poppy. Grace, explain. Dun, dun, dun. Alicia, what is your response? I don't know. I don't have a copy of the catechism in front of me. Hmm. Are you guys okay with doing that? Grace, explain. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll inevitably get distracted and start talking about something else at some point down the track. But as long as we get talking, that's all that matters. All right. We'll start with reading from Romans chapter... Romans? Romans chapter 3. This is basically Paul talking. He's saying... He starts Romans chapter 1. He talks about um, the idea of everyone is simple. And then chapter 2, God is uh, going to judge everyone. And then he talks about the Jews and how the law is not able to save you. And then in chapter 3... He talks about the solution. 3 verse 21 says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And continues, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to just to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So that there is the uh, core of the gospel. Now, my main question to use is, are we as young people, our group, understanding that properly? Because what it means is that you are... Um, you don't have to do anything yeah, to be saved. All you have to do is believe in on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So club and church and uh, Bible study and devotions and prayer and everything else is extra. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that will get you into heaven. Do we, under, do we properly understand that? Well, that's a question that it's difficult to answer either yes or no to. Is it something that we understand? Yes. Oh, but is I mean, it, does it, do we reflect that in our attitudes in our lives? Yeah, yeah. I mean, understand as in um, not just mentally comprehend, but that you actually are able to live that out. And that we actually do live it out. How do you say we live that out? Well, what it means is that um, everything that you do is done in knowledge of that. So... For example, if you are going to go to church or if you're going to study, do prep study for club, then the only reason that you do that is because of thankfulness. There should be no, um, like you should not feel obligated to do so. If we are feeling obligated, then there's something wrong because thankfulness is not obligation. Thankfulness comes from the heart. Don't you think? Yes, that's true. Do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) There are certainly times where I'd rather not be doing stuff. That's more for selfish reasons. Uh, But that is a bit of an indicator of how easy it is for us to slip into the more practical and pragmatic attitude Mm. as opposed to based off of Scripture. So in that sense, I think that text, as well as a host of others, perhaps even just in this short essay or sermon, is something that should be constantly reflected on perhaps even every week. Hmm to give it a constant reminder of what you're actually doing stuff for. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think it's typical that people are coming to club? Club is a good example because 
church's uh, habit club is also a habit but it's more especially with the older people it's more like the older young people is more uh, mm, yeah that's where you start to see if people are really interested in knowing about the lord and talking about him and spending their lives with him if i may take it a few steps back you said you you're presuming that there's a problem if we're just doing this for practical sake sorry practical sake pragmatic is that the right word that's obligation word used, yeah. yes obligation not from say the heart mm. where's the problem there well if you're doing some if you're doing something out of obligation like if someone is uh, basically what it means is that then the church community and your family and yourself are holding a stick over your head and say if you don't do this then we're going to punish you and you will do that mentally and your parents will probably do that verbally and the church community will do that verbally as well so you're saying the its influence from your peers that's um that'll be part of it peers uh parents self elders yeah because it's you know not you can't control your emotional response to the message of the gospel that's just either something that happens or not and an intellectual understanding of the gospel i assume we all have but we may not necessarily have that emotional response so and that's, you that's not something that we can control yeah but i think that emotions are something that will follow if you are living a life in which you properly understand like for example if you live a life if you're married and you love um you act as if you love your wife even if you in your heart your emotions are not really there like if you've been married for 5 years and it it started out all romantic but now it's become more practical and you're not so uh in love with her anymore but if you act like it and you um discipline your mind as well to think like it then you will um the emotions will naturally follow will they they should i think you usually they would yeah like if it it would be very hard for you to live your entire life acting and thinking as if something were um very dear to you and not have it eventually become very dear to you so the whole concept of believing your own lie except it might not be a lie in this case yeah but if you psychologically tell yourself that no i'm going to love my wife and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that if you constantly keep telling yourself that you will feel emotions towards it hmm cuz that that's why there's multiple multiple kinds of love there's the uh, agape which is love it's an act of the will it's got nothing to do with the emotion but then there are other ones which are to do with the emotion and you can do agape no matter what so we have to do that and then what should happen is naturally if you do that then also in terms of loving your the lord then you will start to love him as well with your emotions so if we're not loving him with our emotions if we are not um really excited and enthused about god then yeah well are we really doing the agape love the act of the will well the way i see it is that all of us have been raised for as long as we can remember as christians and there's been no you know that moment of conversion where everything changes and then then you get that really strong emotional surge which yep. you can ride for a while or yeah and because we don't have that i sort of find myself in practice just falling back onto a very pragmatic approach you say oh i know these truths that are revealed to us in the bible intellectually even may even though maybe 
you don't really feel them in your heart. Mm-hmm. But you say, oh, because these things are true, I'll just force myself to, to do this because, well, so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, then. You're acting out of obligation. Obligation, yes, but obligation to God. Yeah, but it should be out of love. If, you, if we are acting out of obligation, then what happens, what's happened in our minds is that we don't properly understand what the gospel is saying. If you're acting up out of obligation, like if you were, if, imagine if you were married to a lady who was so, like, she was the best woman in the world in every single way, and you had to love her out of obligation, then you would not, like, you would not properly understand what she's actually doing for you. You could acknowledge her traits, her admirable traits, but you might not necessarily appreciate them. No, imagine imagine she's like the most beautiful, most caring, most loving, most uh, gentle, awesome at raising kids, and she loves you with all her heart and she does everything that she can for you and you don't really feel emotional like how, how can that be you must not obviously you obviously don't understand what she's really doing i'd say the metaphor you're giving us is kind of weak because we don't love god because of his attributes we love him because of what he's done for us okay so she does she is giving her life for you yeah she and, and then so if I may just continue the metaphor. She's done this for us, and we don't maybe appreciate it as much as we could in our hearts, but we understand intellectually that she's done so much for me, and then I should return the favor, and then you sort of force yourself to mm-hmm. do these actions. But if, if that were the case, if you imagine marriage like that, then don't you think that the, the, the guy would be like, he, he, w- he wouldn't understand properly? What's really going on? If, so, he, if he has no in emotional response to that. Sorry, what do you mean understand? He, he must, well, not understand, like, he must not, um, yeah, like, mm, properly comprehend, prop, like, yeah, I, I don't know, like, he doesn't realize what's actually, what she's actually doing for him. Because if she, he were to realize that, then he would like, be like, wow, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, and that that's something some sometimes that we as Christians who have had that understanding drilled into us all our lives can sort of have that reaction that, oh, same old, same old. You can appreciate it, but there's just not that emotional boom response. Yeah. So that's where I think we are... Uh, we are not really realizing the amount, the depth, of the love that God has for us. Because if we were to realize that, if you realize, like, the fact is, you are disgusting in God's eyes. Absolutely disgusting. Because of all the stuff that you do. And you hate Him. And He decides to, to, to disregard that and say, you know what, I'm going to love this person. And I'm going to not just act like um, not just act like it, but actually going to love them from my heart. And I'm going to love them so much that you're you know, willing to die for them. Like, if you properly understand that, if, if you realize what that means, then you would, you should be falling down in worship, don't you think? And your whole life would be just, wow, thank you, Lord.
thank you, Lord, so much every day. Yes, and that is like you can say some. You can sort of at this point say some words and inspire us in a way, and, <laughs> and then you know just fire up that emotional response that is natural to something like that. But then we'll all wake up next morning and nothing will have changed. Well, not I th- maybe um, we need to be constantly reminded. But yeah, what okay. what that what has happened there is if you feel inspired by just that basic explanation of what he's actually done. What's happened is you've suddenly realized how much he's actually done. And you've had an emotional response, even though it's only small, right? It's not really a realization because it's something we already understand. It's just... A re-realization, well, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, some, something like that. Yeah. A re-realization. Now, <coughs> but um, Elijah was saying that we can have this inspirational talk and then we wake up the next morning and nothing's changed. Then, of course, the question is, is that just a byproduct of our just being content with the lives we have and not really willing to change anything drastically? Hmm. Right? Is that possibly something that's at the root of the matter? But is the question here, are we living in sin? Obviously, if you're in some big sin and then you have this realization that, oh, God's done all this for us, and then we should make an effort to change that, but... Ben here is referring to not a change of actions, but a change of attitudes. Yeah. And that's something that's much harder to change. Nevertheless, we shouldn't not try. So how do you propose we try? Well, just just before that, like, you're you're asking whether or not this is, um, like, are we sinning as we're living right now? I think no, but I think we are not doing any good. If you remember 1 Corinthians 13, love is the basis of all good works. So if you are unloving... If you are just sort of intellectually being obligated to do whatever you are doing, then like you can, you can, it says, it literally says you can give up every single thing that you have, give away all your property. You can give away your life. You can die. You can spend your entire life serving other people and it will be completely in vain, totally in vain. It's useless. So what we are doing with all our going to club and going to church and devotions and um, everything is useless. So I think that we may as well, um, like if we, if we are not going to change this, then yeah, well, we're wasting a lot of time and energy for something we could, we could be using on something else. Are you referring to love here? Is 1 Corinthians 13 calls, uh, uses the word love. Are you referring to that as agape or a emotional response? No, it's emotional response. In 1 Corinthians 13. Mm, I don't know the actual Greek word, but... I'm not necessarily referring to a Greek word, and this is not... No, but it it wouldn't make sense if it's not an emotional response. because Because the text actually reads, if I have all knowledge, if I have faith to move mountains, if I have all the abilities and all the talents, and I use them for my whole life, as in put them under the will of God, I feel obligated to follow the will of God, and yet I don't have love, this thing called love, which cannot be an act of the will because he's just talking about I have to submit my will to him. It has to be an emotional thing. Otherwise it's void. Yeah, otherwise otherwise it doesn't make sense. I'm going to start reading at verse 4. This is ESV, so don't burn me at the stake. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And it goes on like this. Love bears all things, believes all things, etc., and these things that it, all these attributes of this love that we're talking about, they are 
physical outward attributes, their actions. Yeah, but read the first verses. The first verses are, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. <laughs> That's an interesting verse. You ever heard speaking in the tongues of angels? But have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, not many of us have prophecy either, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So even if, if you're like, okay, the Lord says I need to submit my life to him, I need to serve him, I need to go to church, I need to da -da 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 -da, obey his commands and everything, this passage is saying if you do that, but you don't actually love the Lord, as in you don't actually feel any sort of connection or or response for what he's done for you, then it's useless, totally void. So if that's true, then we go back to your question, which is how do we change? Just quickly, I would like to point out that it's not like we don't have any emotional connection whatsoever. Obviously it is there, but I think it sort of just gets uh, run over by a more pragmatic approach. You think so? Well, it's, it's definitely one of the hallmarks of the more reformed society, because reforms mm -hmm. love having their doctrine and their intellectual debates, mm -hmm. and they lack that sense of emotional response to the gospel, whereas the complete mm -hmm. opposite, like the evangelical and the charismatics, they have a very big emotional response, but don't have, in essence, that doctrine mm -hmm. or that intellectual aspect. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, But that's <clears throat> something I've seen and heard multiple times, and um, I'm not saying that the Reformed Church is uh, in any way false because of that, but it's something that we can definitely improve on. I think it's one of the main things that internally we can improve on. Yeah. Because now that we have this really solid foundation of doctrine, yeah. we, have, uh, we have the resources we need to have these intellectual debates, and many of us haven't for a long time. But now, of course, the question is, what's the other area that we can improve on? And that, I, I believe, is definitely the emotional aspect of hmm. worship, not just in church, not just in club, not just at home, but in life. Yeah, with your whole life. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because the society that we live in all comes from Greek society, which is all head knowledge and not where knowledge is king. And the more yeah. you know, the closer you are to goodness. Yep. That is very biblical. But, yep. yeah, and that is reflected in the Western church. Yeah. We, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> very true. Yeah. There's lots of, you know, we're very proud of our doctrine, and it is something that we can be proud of because, well, we have a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tested exactly. by time, yeah. No, absolutely. There's no question about that. And we're not saying we should give less emphasis to doctrine. Absolutely not. Both and. But it's a really interesting cultural thing. Um, obviously, I was born and raised West, in, under Western culture, and, but my parents weren't, and I think there was some point where we went to a funeral, or we're talking about a funeral, and my dad was like, he, he couldn't understand why Western people are so reserved about everything. <laughs> and I was reading a, I was reading a book on, um, Old Testament, sorry, Old Testament, Bible times, culture, and it was talking about, uh, a funeral that happened there, and you have these people, who are professionally employed to cry at funerals. Yeah. And that, that sounds really alien to us, but to the people of the time, all it does is establish atmosphere as in the same way that, say, music would to us. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Western culture is super reserved and super suppressive of the emotions. Emotion needs to be all very subtle and tastefully expressed in various art forms, etc., etc. And mm-hmm. carefully chosen words at presentations, etc. Yeah. And, like, let's say one of the ministers on the pulpit starts, like, getting really fiery and starts yelling and jumping Throwing hallelujahs back and forth. Yeah. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's something that's alien to us. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Very much. I think it's also because we are very scientific as a culture. We are very... Uh, Knowledge-based. Yeah. It's all about the words and the um, definitions and the... Science to back it up, not so much about. Yeah. But now that in this day and age, that almost all the world either looks up to or or is adopting Western culture, is that something that we should really still be? Well, we can still be proud of that, but is it something we should still be emphasizing as Western culture? Because now that's becoming the norm all around the world. It's not really typical of us anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of ironic though because the um, our church is very conservative church, and the uh, less conservative churches they're the ones who. Sing hallelujah off the pulpit. Yeah. Yep. And they're the mainstream ones, apparently. Well, they're yeah. the ones that attract all the crowds, but mind you, they're also the ones who have the least stable membership. Yeah, they, yeah. Mile wide, inch deep. Exactly. Sorry, what? It's a mile wide? Oh, mile wide identity. Yeah, it's an inch deep. <clears throat> Basically, they attract lots of crowds, and most of them leave again by the end of the month. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's a continuum, right? Yeah. The more that you have, like, and that's also related to the doctrine. Because they're pretty loose on it. They aren't too... Mm. So why then what, Why then do you think those people are just in and out of those big churches? Well, because there's not much meat there. Yeah, because the emotional high fades. Yeah. So if I may get back to love again, if you're going to call love in this situation an emotional response, we can't expect that to last. And if we can't expect it to last, then... What can we do? But then you can point yourself to the parable of the um, the seeds on the many different terrains. The, the good soil, the rocky soil, soil with thorns and the thistles and the pathway. And where is love in that parable? Well, the parable doesn't speak about love. It speaks about accepting the gospel. But if you're going to keep going with the metaphor of... Um, not sorry, metaphor, but the, the statement of saying that uh, a true grasp of the gospel also includes an emotional response, then saying that the seed that fall in the good soil and grows and flourishes, of course, is uh, supposed to symbolize the people who accept the gospel and who internalize it and who make it their own forever. That would include at least some element of an emotional response. Yeah, and so during the parable, one uh, one of the people who are represented there are these people who are so called shallow. They have rock underneath them. And when they do receive the gospel, it says they receive it with joy and they shoot up. And then you've got that emotional response there. And that emotional response is what allows the seed to take root and begin growing. Yep. But then because they've only got that emotional response, there's nothing else. But when you look at the example of the uh, seed that falls in the good soil, it latches on. There is that emotional response, but nothing. the, the emotional response goes nowhere else. Mm. Yeah, but I don't. I think that means that um, they mess it up. We should we should have both the meat of the doctrine and the emotional response, and then both should grow and blossom. But the thing is, is that we have um, we've done really well with the meat, and like you say, the thing the thing is, is that the emotional response, for the most part, is something that we need to work on, and it is true that most times you can't always stay on a high and. 
the experience of first coming to the faith is not an experience you're going to be able to sustain. However, at the same time, um, just because you can't sustain this insanely high emotional um, attachment doesn't mean that you can have just nothing. So we have to find a balance there and say, look, we are um, rather on the low end of emotional response. And I think, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I think that is the case. We are on a low end. Yeah, I would agree. Then we have to, we don't have to bring it like into the sky, but we have to bring it up. There has to be, like if you're going to club, and the only reason really you're going to club is because your parents and yourself and the people at club want you to, or well, not, not yourself, but like some conscience in you is just beating you over the head saying you have to go to club, otherwise you're a bad person, then like that's, that's useless. Mm-hmm. So we have to do something about that. So how do we fix it is the next question. It's an interesting thing because may- maybe club's a bad example, but you don't learn that much from club. Yeah. That also no. depends on how well, you approach club because you can approach it and you're, in your attitude of thinking, you can approach it thinking that, oh, it's just another um, club meeting that we're having, and I'm just going to sit through it and contribute a bit and make it look like I'm doing what I'm doing and then go home again. You can go you can go into that attitude, or it could go in with an open mind thinking that, no, I'm actually going to try to learn something today. And that will also improve your own uh, input and contribution to the discussion. Now, of course, it's easy to blame uh, the circumstances in the group and saying it's not a very intellectual group and you don't say much, and sometimes that might be true. Nevertheless, it's your own responsibility to make sure you learn from a situation like that. Hmm. And the thing is, it's not like the traditional idea of learning. It, it was really fascinating. We were having, the other day, we were having a uh, club meeting after church, and we were talking, my dad was doing a speech on leadership. And after the speech, then we had a panel, which was sort of unexpected. He just had like three, he just asked, who wants to come up and be on a panel? And then we can a- answer the questions that come from the audience. So then... Four people came and and they were like, all right. So they sat up the front and we had a discussion with the panel. And it went really well. And it was just fascinating because afterward we were talking about it. We were like, he said, the reason the panel is really good, well, the first reason is because you have multiple perspectives, which gives you a more complete answer rather than even if it's one knowledgeable person, they still only can really give one side. Sometimes they can cover a couple of different angles, but usually they'll miss some important things, whereas multiple people will tend to get them. But the second thing is that, yeah, they, they will tend to get them because they you're, you're, everyone is different and everyone is thinking of different things. And when you first, when the first person says something, then that sparks off a thought in another person's mind and then the next person, the next person. So then you have a couple of... But that's not even the main... The, the second thing is that he said, we have a lot of really knowledgeable young people in our youth already like if you think about it we are like 70 18 19 20 years old in our clubs and yeah there's a lot of knowledge because we do yeah from year seven catechism club not to mention preaching and religious studies at school and yeah there's a lot of knowledge there so it's not club is not always about the learning but it can be um like learning in the just ding, 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 these are the things you have to know. It can also be that you are learning to apply, and then also not just learning, but a, um, like fact, but recognizing themes in the Bible, don't you think? It doesn't just have to be about, like, you don't go to club to learn. It's also about growing community and that sort of thing as well. You're very right. What's your point? 
Well, you were saying that we don't always learn that much at club. Yeah, okay, so never mind. That was <laughs> <laughs> the point I was trying to make is that that club is a bad example. <laughs> okay. But so club is club doesn't need to be about learning. Club is about um, club can just be about having the youth of the church get together and talk. Yeah, about God, etc. And I still think that's important. Yeah, very much. Although the way in which we do it might be variable. Hmm. But the thing is, is that you can't have. Um, we have this culture where if you are not going to club, then you're a bad person, which is yeah. Okay, it shows that people are not really caring because if they do care, then they would start up their own club, and they would be like, if if people really care about God and they like, if you really want to know about Him and you want to talk about Him and you care and you love Him and you're just amazed by all that He's done, then yeah, well, why wouldn't you? Why 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 would it be something that someone has to force you to come? So. We have this culture of forcing people to come, and it's true. If you're not doing it, then it shows where you are. But that's not ideal. True. If we may continue with club, there are a lot of people who sometimes will just come. They'll listen. They won't contribute. They can't contribute because they can't contest with some of the um, some some of the people who get very loud in club, <laughs> and th- and then they just go home with nothing. And the mm. Bible doesn't say, thou shalt go to club. So, yeah. um, what, what are they missing by not going to the club? Well, because they're not contributing doesn't necessarily mean they're not gaining from it. They're not gaining. You can't just assume that. No, we are for this situation, because there are some people who just go to club and come back with nothing. Okay, if you are going to assume that. So they shouldn't go. Is that a conclusion? Mm. Is, is that your conclusion? I don't think so. I think that would be a rather pessimistic approach. Mm. Because if you're just saying, I'm going to club, I'm not gaining anything, therefore I'm not going to keep going. It's like, well, think about it. Does that make you the only person or one of the only people who are not actually getting anything out of this? And if so, is it because of you or is it because of the club? It's well, a matter I, of... Yeah. It's, it's, also, it's also that you don't really know whether or not you're actually getting anything out of it. Because even if you... Like, every time that you spend time with people... You grow in a relationship, even if you hardly. If you come, you are growing in the relationship. See, but the thing is, you're all presupposing that club is something that we have to go to. Yeah, I know. Because it is, um, like club is, we should call it Bible study. Bible study is something where you go and if you are a Christian and if you love the Lord, then you want to do Bible study. And that's done in your devotions. And if you are excited about it, then you want to do it together. Well, maybe just maybe they just can't deal with the format that um, our specific Bible study clubs are dealing with. Some people work better, like say one on one or in a group setting where there's lots of people to contend with. Or yeah, that's true. That sort of thing. Fair enough. And we can't, you know, put a blanket statement on a club is the way we do it is the right thing to do it, and we judge people for not going. Yeah. Did I mention we're distracted? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that personally. A person should be able to make a solid conclusion about that after a number of years of actually going to club. Like, see, for myself, I can, at this point in time, generally say if I think the current structure of youth club, and if I am going to look forward, look, um, look ahead in my life towards men's club, if I do think that format is good for me, I will keep going. If I don't think it's good for me, at this point in time, I have enough experience in club to be able to say that with confidence, to be able to justify that, and then... I think I will be in a reasonable position to try to fix a solution either 
uh, sorry, find a solution and fix a problem, either for myself personally or for the club as a whole. Hmm. Bible study. Sorry, Ben. Yeah, but what you're saying, Elisha, is it, it's true. Like, it's not a blanket. Thing. Like, some people, they just can't deal with it, and they can't do it. And that's, that's, that's true. That's up to every person. But we are um, unable to deal with all the exceptions, so we have to do a rule. Yeah, and you make that rule quite rigid. And you say, well, oh, we're just going to do it this way. This okay, seems what, to work for most people. And it's, there's, there's nothing really wrong with that, but then it comes to you do it not because, oh, I want to please God and this is the way to do it, but this is just the way we do it. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's the problem. We have to look at it. We have to good, take a good step back and say, are, is, is this club matching with what our goals are, to love the Lord and study His Word together? So that, that's an open question. And I think... Um, in many ways, there are positive aspects. There are um, wonderful things that happen, and there's great community and relationship, and there are also a lot of uh, not-so-great. And there's a lot of people who don't come regularly, and there's a lot of, like, for reasons that are not uh, personal, they just don't care. And for that that's not really dealt with. There's, yeah, all sorts of internal... So we, ch- we have to look at that, and then we have to s- also look at ourselves and say, are we really doing this like from, from our own personal standpoint because we want to? That's the real key, because thankfulness is about wanting. If you don't want it, then you aren't really thankful. Would you agree with that? If you don't want to, you aren't really thankful. Well, see, I had this question in the back of my mind, but I decided not to bring it up previously, but I think now is a good time. Is it possible to have that, well, that emotional love, I guess, but in this context, also that thankfulness subconsciously while you're uh, living your life or going to club, like, is it possible that that is not necessarily at the forefront of your mind? That's not what you're concentrating on at the time, but it's still there. Mm. Yeah. See, we're instructed to whatever we eat or drink or whatever we do from, like, podcasts to club. You need to do it all in the name of, in the glory of God. Yeah. But that's the thing. We, it's, well, I'm not going to say that, but we don't, keep it at the forefront of our mind everywhere we go. Hmm. And of course we can always justify everything that we do as um it's for God's for glory. glory. Yeah, exactly. But it's an after the fact yeah. justification. It's not a in the moment. Hmm. So uh, yeah. and it's not just our culture. Whatever culture you live in, you can't just do everything for we're thinking in the forefront this is for God. That's impossible. You can't think like that. However, yeah, I think that gets back to the continuum. Like, we aren't supposed to do it all the time, but we are rather on the low side right now. So, I think you can. Like, there's a lot of good work that goes on in our churches. There's a lot of serving and um, living the life of the Lord. Now, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And that, on the outside, looks all shiny. But, like, it, go, it goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. If you're not doing that, um, from perspective of love, then yeah, I'm sorry. Bong, bong goes the gong, and nothing that is useless. I, d- I wouldn't say you're sinning, but you're not really helping. But then, yeah, so how do, how do we change? I'm still not completely aboard the 1 Corinthians cha- train. Uh. Um, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. And 1 Corinthians 14 is about prophecy and tongues. Um... It is possible... Okay, I'm going to make this argument. It's probably not very well-founded because I built it after reading 1 Corinthians 13 for about 20 seconds. 
in context, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and the problem is that oh, the Corinthians they are showing off their spiritual gifts. Some of them can prophesy, and some of them can speak in tongues, and they're all very chuffed about all their abilities that have been given to them by the Spirit. But Paul's saying that it these are not important. It's important that you have love. When he says love, does he mean love for one another or love for God? Aren't they both included in the definition of love? No, I mean not in this specific thing. Why not? Because he specifically makes a difference between the two? Well, he's not talk. He's talking about... I'm actually not sure what he's talking about. Who, is he talking about love for each other or love for God? You might want the Bible. Because this is all in the context of spiritual gift. Mm, yeah, I think it has to. Has to. Has to be love for God. And love for the neighbor. Has to be both. Why can't it be? Mm. Because if the whole... If the summary of the commandments are love the Lord your God, and then second, love your neighbor as yourself... They both use the term love in the exact same manner. Yeah. So can we not just assume that if the Bible talks about love, if it doesn't specify about loving your neighbor or God, if it just talks about love in general, can we just assume that it applies both to God as well as our neighbor? When you say when the, the, the quote, love the Lord your God, that comes from uh, Deuteronomy. Yes. And that's the what they, what they call the call sign of Israel. You shall love the Lord your... And it's what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your... Might or strength and soul. Yeah, yeah, so just with all your being, that's your intellectual and your emotional. Yeah, ah, there we go. <laughs> I mean, it was never in context that we should love yeah. God with our emotions. But the thing is, can we? Yeah, because it's not a will. Because yeah. our emotions are not something we can control directly. No, yeah, that's right. In the sense of... The Holy Spirit controlling our emotions, no. But if you're going to bring it down to a human level, you can control your emotions. Not directly. You can't suddenly be like... You can like... Bing! You can do things yeah. that will make you happy, but you can't like... Well, then that brings up the whole question of how do actors do it? They pretend. Do or, they? Or they, 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 they work, do they just work themselves up? They're empty shells. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's genuinely possible to control your emotions... It's In, a yes, skill. but not directly. You like induce. Let's say someone has, is doing a scene where they're supposed to be sad. They induce that by thinking sad thoughts and then getting themselves worked up. Yeah, I think I think it can either be like an action. So you think, or you you go to the beach and you have a wonderful time and you're happy, or it can be you think of the beach. So a thought. You think of the beach and then it has a not as great effect. But so the actors have simply tuned themselves. So that they can, um, with their thoughts, when they think of something sad, they can quickly become very emotionally worked up. Yeah, That seems to be a logical answer, but I'm still going to disagree with that. However, I'm not able to debate it here and now because I haven't done proper research. Mm. But good topic for later discussion. Not research. It's just no, it's, I'm quite know. certain you can find psychological evidence. That you can make yourself. Yes. Directly. Yes. Really? You're going to like press your happiness buttons in your mind. Yeah, it's a thing. Placebo is powerful, but is it that powerful? Uh, I don't know. That would be interesting to research. But have to look it either up. way, I don't think God expects us to force to press all those love buttons when uh, we think of Him. No, it shouldn't be. Yeah, but it should be a uh, continual reflection. We should be continually going through the cycle where you're, you are sinful you realize the forgiveness you realize the grace you are you are forgiven and you're like wow and then you're thankful and then you try to live out the thankfulness and then you're sinful again 
because you can't do it. And that's why it's so amazing because, you know, even our best works, the catechism says, are just like dirty rags, like that Joshua the high priest. Yeah, Joshua the high priest standing in front, dirty rags, disgusting, nothing there. It's, It's worse than, Paul says worse than rubbish crap. And somehow, I think that's actually the word he uses, some, somehow, that is the, that, that disgusting pile is something that God turns into amazing acts of kindness and grace and love and gentleness and peace. He, cause those acts by themselves, what we think of as benevolent and altruistic are in God's eyes useless. And he like shot through with pride and all the rest of it. And he will make them, he turns them from that useless state into the, so not only are we forgiven the sins, but he takes the good works as well. So he gives us the grace for the sins, and then he clothes us with the amazing gifts of his righteousness as well. That's what it says in Romans as well. He gives us his righteousness imputed to our account. It's it's really insane. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, so, sorry, the point you're trying to make? No, it's just, it's it's cool. It's it's awesome. And that, that, that feeling, well, not feeling, that idea is something that provokes a feeling. You think, wow, that is awesome. And then you act out of that feeling of, wow, that's awesome. And then it becomes, the more that you think about that, and the more you mull that over in your mind, the more, like, you look at sin, and you get tempted and stuff, and you're like, that is just, just anathema. It's, it's, it's completely diametrically opposed to who you are. That's what the Spirit is doing. That's why it works through the Word. And that's why the things like club and devotions are so important. Because, but the thing is, is that they are important, but if you don't do them in the right way, they're meaningless. Then, uh, yeah, they, they, they are unhelpful. However, the amazing thing, the even more amazing thing, is that somehow, even when you do it in the wrong way, the Holy Spirit is working at the same time. So, He leads us all in our own down our own paths, and then He takes us home. And then, how is that something that we respond to practically? Because it's, yeah, it, and I'm not, I'm, I don't mean to take away from any of what you've said, you're right, and it's something amazing that we ought to have an emotional response to, but as it says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mm, yeah, so solution. And of course, no one expects us to be perfect in this life. I just, yeah. Yeah, but we aren't copping out here. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, so solutions. How do you really realize um, well, I think the first thing is you need to know your sin. Like if you are uh, rather flippant in your in the way you treat sin in your thought, then uh, yeah, well, there's no way that you're ever going to be able to see the amazing gift when your sins are taken away because it's like a scale. If you only got a kilo on the one side and a kilo on the other, the kilo on the one side is, is how much you realize your sin. The kilo on the other is how much you realize the forgiveness. You put a ton on the one side, you realize, then yeah, Exactly. It's 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 related, directly related. So then the question is, how do you really realize your sin? Well, be more aware of it, I suppose. I mean, we all love to just live our daily lives and not really think about that. But I mean, even if I was just look at today, I could probably find, if I was to do like a really in-depth study, I could find a hundred things that are wrong with what I did today. Hmm. At this point in time, I'm not aware of any of them because I've just put myself in a psychological state where I don't live my life realizing what my sins are. Yeah, that's of course for the major ones that are always easy to identify. Yeah, exactly. And I think that state is something that we are uh, most often in, unfortunately. Yes. So, yeah, well, so how do you get out of that state then? Well, that's the whole reason why we read the Ten Commandments every Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And now we're getting in a state where it just glosses over our mind and we don't even pay attention to it necessarily. Definitely. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's yeah. all easy to say that we should, yeah. we could read the Ten Commandments every day, but then we have the exact same problem. That's not going to solve it. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So ideally... Not necessarily. It all has to do with your attitude. Yes. Yeah. But the thing is, is we're trying to change the attitude by looking at the commandments. Oh, if you force yourself to pay attention to the commandments during church, it will help a lot more. Yes. Yeah, that's true. It can't, yes. just, it can't just be a yeah. uh, physical no, push. Yeah, no, my point was you can't just put physical uh, limits and boundaries on what people should do because then you, you're not guaranteeing that they have the same intellectual focus that they should be having, right? That's, that, that's what my point was. And you said right afterwards that's... Uh, it's an issue of attitude, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It should. Yeah, but you have to come there with. I want to know the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, and then, the the first step is to know your sin. Yeah, yeah, and that will help. But the, the problem is still there. We are, yeah, just glossing over it. So sure. And one other small point, um, would it help? Well, I'm. Uh, it would help, of course, if we're all. Uh, if you all find it easier to talk about sin, not even necessarily in a personal matter, but just talk about it like we do something like grace or sports or cars or whatever, if it's easier mm. for us to talk about sin, it's going to be much more likely that the individual will reflect on it. Mm. Yep. Yep. I think if it becomes a normal part of your conversation, but it has to be done well. So of course. We, we, have to, um, we have to get past this idea that the only... Um, like we have this weird idea... That you can talk about anything except for being serious about matters. Yeah, the yeah. things that like actually you're you're going to spend the rest of your life in heaven or hell, and that yeah. doesn't merit your conversation. Well, it depends. We have conversations like this when we all get together at parties and do partyish things like talk about. No, grace. but we don't though. We don't. We don't talk about the kernel, and that's the thing. Even in club as well, you're talking all other things. Really, the kernel is you are a sinner, Christ died for you, and you're forgiven. And that is a massive deal. And that thing is is not featured hardly anywhere in our conversation. It's on, just taken average, for granted. Yeah, in general. But that's because we all know. I know. But the thing is, is this it should be like, you know, there was a guy, he, he was a scientist, and he was like, people should every day just be ex- exclaiming to themselves and to each other, how amazing the cell is that it actually exists. And he's like, if anybody in this life, in my life, manages to uh, explain it, I will charter, uh, what are those planes called? That um, leave behind smoke trails? Oh, I don't know. Those, those, I'll anyway. charter one of those planes and, and make, make him do explanation points. After explanation points. <laughs> over and over and over and over and over until my whole all my money runs out. So that that type of thing, he this guy is like just amazed at the existence of the cell, and that's like nothing. That's nothing compared to what we we have. So the idea that this can just be taken for granted because we know it doesn't fly, man. No, no good. We have to uh, we have to we have to take this and put this into the meat of our conversation. Don't you think? Agreed. By conversation, do you just like, do you mean serious conversation or just like, you know, locker room banter? No, like all the time. Not all the time, as in like you can't talk about anything else, but it shouldn't be something that we shy away from. 
Yeah. Which is not to say that this should be part of our everyday conversation with everyone. Yeah. That's insane. But I certainly think it should be brought up to a level where we can we can talk about it. Yeah. Not necessarily even on a comfortable level. I mean, it should be like you know those those people who are like, um, yeah, they 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 just talk about all the stuff in the Bible like most of the time. That takes up most of their talking time with everyone else, and they're always like, "Amen, amen, yes, brother." That type of thing, where they're just they they are they are exclaiming to each other the greatness of God and the greatness of the gospel. That type of thing is the thing we have to. That type of thing, yes, emphasis on yeah. type. I suppose yes, that's that, something we that can get attitude. Behind. Yeah, yeah. Except Cooper can't talk. All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up. I think that certainly wraps it up well. Yeah. Grace explained. Complete. Thank you very much. And cut. <gasps>